You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Groove together, ain't gonna worry about stormy weather, gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drum, beat out old trouble and drum, beat out old trouble and drum, and kick old trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum, beat me that rhythm on the drum, beat me that rhythm on the drum, and kick old trouble out the door. Kick him out the door, kick him out the door, kick him out the door, kick him out the Ah, this program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. We have another fascinating guest to dissect today. But before we introduce Mr. Christopher Lynch, don't start speaking, Christopher. We have a problem. Kelly and I have a problem. We had Radiophone last week. We're $40 off our target of $750. I'm ashamed to be here, Kelly. I apologise to you and your twin sister, Kerry. <laughs> I apologise. You know, but you do have a chance to rehabilitate yourselves. If you ring during the program or after the program on 9419 8377, or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate and donate to the radio fund you'll get a warm inner glow and more importantly if you pay taxes you'll get a legitimate legal tax deduction kelly i apologize to you and your twin sister kerry we will make up the money we will because if we don't you're paying the difference great (laughs) now we have a very important guest every guest is important on radical australia it's mr christopher lynch Hi, Joe. <laughs> You're not related to that other Lynch, the politician, are you? Which one? Well, you know, the Deputy Prime Minister <laughs> years ago. Were you related to him? No, no. 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 There's a lot of Lynches out there. I've, yeah, I've even yeah. been in the same uh, electorate as someone with my middle name. So, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. What's your middle name? David. David. Christopher David Lynch. I like that. It's got a good ring to it. You should be a High Court judge, I reckon. You look like a High Court judge. Oh, thanks. <laughs> He's got the trim beard, you know, the glasses, the little cap. Look, um, can I? Um, no, I won't raise a High Court challenge. I was interested in doing with you. Now, look, this is a very simple interview. It's all about you, although I'm talking all the time at the minute. <laughs> what year were you born? Uh, 1977. You're very young. Yeah, fairly young. I mean, I was having a coffee with you before and I was talking about the 1974 floods as if you knew anything about them. You knew, <laughs> obviously, you knew nothing about them. No, no. <laughs> so what's the first memory you have about being on planet Earth? Um, I wrote about it once. I said, um, unbidden, my first memory, crawling across American lawn in late afternoon sunset, uh, late afternoon light to strawberries. Strawberries. Mm. We have a lot in common. Was your father a mother of strawberry farmers? No, no. Um, they were just had, were growing some in the backyard in, in Montana. Montana. Mm. That's not in Australia. No, no. So where were you born? Uh, Papua New Guinea. Papua. Don't tell me your parents were diplomats. They're either, they're either diplomats or religious nuts. Which ones? Uh, they weren't religious nuts, but they were lay missionaries for, exactly. for the Catholic mission. Exactly, yeah. Mm. They're the only people who used to wander in those days, were <laughs> lay missionaries. and uh, they, they say in New Guinea um, the expats are uh, mercenaries, missionaries or misfits. Right, and your mm. parents were missionaries, neither mercenaries or misfits. Well, yeah. So where in Papua New Guinea were you born? Uh, Madang, which is um, an island on the north coast. So your mother... Uh, sorry, a, a town on the north coast. So your parents were happy in the service of God... To put your childbirth at risk, you know, uh, it's not—it's not a good place to have a child, Madame. 
Well, my my um, my aunt was there, and my mother was working as a midwife in New Guinea. So uh, there were two midwives there at so my was, birth. So it wasn't too bad, yeah. Mm. Look, because we've interviewed a few missionaries on uh, Radical Australia, and uh, <laughs> when I think of what they and their children went through, especially in uh, in uh, West Papua, it's just extraordinary. So what's Montana? So you in Papua New Guinea? You got any memories of PNG? I do because I. Um, uh, moved back there when I was from America when I was four and was there until I was twelve. So mo- most of my childhood memories are of New Guinea, but um, my first memory are, are Montana. 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 My dad's uh, well, he's Australian now, but he's American. So right. he was a pilot um, up the, up in Mendy, and my mother was a was from Adelaide, and she was working as a nurse up up in the Highlands, and that's how they met. So they weren't lay preachers that st- at that stage. No, they weren't preaching. They were just working in their in their right. professions. They were working. They were, working, they were basically um, subcontractors. Yeah, if you put it that way. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll take back the religious nuts. My apologies <laughs> for uh, denigrating your parents on air. Are they both still alive? Yes, they are. Uh, you got mm. any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got uh, one brother and four sisters, all younger than me. All younger. Hmm. Mm, that's interesting. All younger. Mm. Family of six. Yes. Did you top and tail? What does that mean? Well, it's an Australian expression. It means when you've got a large family mm-hmm. that you kind of have two of the kids sleeping in the one bed. Ah, right. <laughs> that does happen sometimes in the, in the family, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Top and tailing, we used to call it. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I topped and tail, you know. You never wanted to top and tail with your sisters because it wasn't that, you know, you'd always get into arguments about who's got what corner of the bed. Yeah. So, Jeff, you wouldn't have had any, um, many memories of Montana, would you? No, a few. Um, uh, yeah, I've got a few. Uh, rattlesnake, um, strawberries, just the, the outdoors. I, I had a big impression of the outdoors. We were up on a, a hill overlooking Ye- the Yellowstone River mm-hmm. um, and I remember seeing deer um, with big antlers. and uh, So, yeah, nature and, and um, the outdoors are my memories mostly. Right. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this rattlesnake. Um, I just have this memory of a, a bunch of us kids um, in a in a circle around a, a rattlesnake that was rattling. Um, what you just found it? We just found it. Yeah, we were wandering around. We we're playing. There's a bunch of us on the street that would play together, and um, yeah, I don't I don't remember. Um, like no one was bitten or anything like that. No, I guess no. we sort of you would have died those days. days. <laughs> backed off, but um, yeah, I just had this quite strong impression of, a, I don't know, half a dozen kids standing around while this, this rattlesnake was rattling at us. It was saying, piss off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds pretty idyllic. Mm. All right. So you came back to Papua New Guinea when you were four. Yeah. Four. And where did you live? Madang still? Madang, yeah. Right. And uh, your mother, as you said, was a nursing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, she stopped working once she started to have kids. So my, uh, one of my, my brother and one of my sisters were born in Montana in Billings. Mm-hmm. And then came back to New Guinea, um, and uh, another sister was born. And uh, my dad, at that point, um, when we came, went back, he he stopped working for the. They both stopped working for the Catholic mission, and he worked for Talair, which was a, an airline up there. Mm. I mean, it's very hairy being a pilot in the Papua New Guinea highlands. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever take you with him? Yeah, my dad said. My dad. I, uh, I described it once as dangerous, and my dad said challenging was a challenging better, was a better <laughs> word. Um, we did know we did know pilots who lost their lives. Um, I think for when I was up there, there mm. there's certainly yeah um, airstrips that kind uh, of ended uh, Chris, a cliff. Chris, Chris, yes, this is radio. No hand signals. Oh, okay, please. Yeah. just explain to listeners. <laughs> there, there are not a lot of roads in New Guinea. Not, not a lot of big roads connecting lots of different parts mm-hmm. of the country. So, airstrips are uh, little tiny airstrips in the middle of the, the forest are an important way of getting around. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, some some of them are on the sides of mountains, and there's a there's a drop at the end of the of the airstrip. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people really have no understanding unless they've been there. Yeah. The fact that you've got, what, 700 different language groups just in Papua New Guinea because of the terrain, because people just couldn't move because of the ravines, then you've got these pilots flying in. It's just extraordinary. Yeah. So where did your father train as a pilot, do you know? Uh, In Massachusetts, and then I think he went to L.A. and did some training in L.A. Uh, So his family was in Massachusetts and then did some training in L.A. and then came came to New Guinea. Why New Guinea? Love? Um, 
I think he, he sort of felt um, in Massachusetts that, you know, everyone knew each other within, in, within the, you know, in the streets around him and everyone was sort of uh, – had been there for donkey's years and he felt like he needed to get out of there and do something different. Sounds good. Mm. Yeah, like most of us. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to do something different. But Papua New Guinea, I mean, how did you and your sisters and brother and parents cope with the f- – ever-present threat of disease. I mean, malaria is endemic in that, that area. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you're a child, you just you just accept whatever's going on as, as normal. So we took chloroquine. Look, I remember that, very strongly remember the, the taste of chloroquine tablets. Yes. Um, and, yeah, we didn't, never got malaria. I, no. I did get typhoid uh, once when I went back just in a few years ago. But, mm. Um, mm. Um, no, we were, we were very fortunate Um in terms of illness when we were there. Yeah. So, so was your life a never-ending uh, series of uh, vaccinations? Yeah, I have had a lot of needles in my life. I've <laughs> yeah, kind of, I'm just saying as a child. You I've, know. Kind, I've kind of lost track of how many needles yeah, I've had. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't assume you're an anti-vaxxer then. No. You wouldn't be here otherwise, no. would you? If you had yeah. the vaccinations, you would have been gone long ago. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I feel quite strongly about because... In New Guinea, you, went, you, you, you can see the, you know, the impact of, of health and the health services. So, um, yeah, I really sometimes have to bite my tongue about vaccination. Mm. I would never bite your tongue. I'm, I'm a pro, pro. I've been a doctor for 45 years. I still remember the, the old diphtheria bell. You heard yeah. about the diphtheria bell? Well, kids would at the children's hospitals around the, the state. This is before uh, vaccination with diphtheria. We get diphtheria. They'd be in hospital their uh, larynx would close over, there'd be a bell, an emergency bell, and you'd all rush to the ward because those days you didn't have pages, you know. You'd just rush and mm-hmm. you'd have to put a, a knife through there and put a straw or something into so the kid could breathe. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I just don't understand. But, you know, it, it's easy to be anti-vaxxer when you're living in Australia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So back to New Guinea, what was schooling like? I have um, really wonderful memories of school um, in New Guinea. So I went to a, a Madang International Primary School um, and then also I went to Murray International Primary School in, uh, in Port Moresby um, later on. And, um, yeah, there was like 30 in, in uh, at Murray, there were 30 flags, you know, on the pole from all the different nationalities that were at the school and, um, and local New Guineans as well. Um, and the, the teachers that were there weren't there for the money, so you know they were they tended to be. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you mean altruistic, <laughs> really nice people who are the teachers? Uh, well, I mean, you know, pe- people are people, but um, but they're very passionate about teaching. So it's passionate. Yeah. So um, oh, oh. yeah, I have uh, very, especially the the little library. So um, uh, I, I went back for. 18 years since I'd been back, so I went back when I was 30, um, after not leaving when I was 12, and I went back to both schools and went to the libraries, and uh, I was just overcome with emotion because of how mm. how positive and warm my memories are of, of reading. And why, it, was it the teacher, or just you had a, you know, you were good at reading? Did it open up new worlds for you? Yeah, I loved reading. Um, I became a I've become a writer in a very early age. I, I wanted to be a writer, mm-hmm. and um, just I guess there was there was a lot of um, I guess older fashioned literature that was in the libraries, both for both adults and children. And so I read a lot of that stuff, and it, it just seemed like another planet, you know, uh, mm-hmm. from where I was what I was um, experiencing. So. There was this, you know, reading Enid Blyton or something like that. It was like another planet. So well, it was another planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, could get, yeah. it was another planet. Yeah. I like it. So, right. you know, and you think back and, you know, how problematic mm. a lot of that is. But um, but it, it just the – yeah, there was something about books that I, I loved and, mm. and enjoyed reading. Did you did you mix much with the local children? I did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, played a lot. Um, we, we used we, – we were very much free-range children, not that you'd call it that in those days. But yeah, yeah, they'd say, you know, come home at dark, please, before it's dark. Yeah. That was it. 
Yeah, yep. yep, free range. No helicopter parents, you know. No, yeah. so I've got lots of scars from my childhood of getting into scrapes and things like that. So it was it was brilliant. I was, I'm very, very grateful for my childhood. Yeah, yeah. You mm. learn, I'm going to use the R word. You learn to be resilient. I hate that word. <laughs> oh, it's overdone. Yeah. No, yeah. But, you know, you, you toughen up with your autoimmune system as well as physically. Absolutely, you toughen yeah. Up. yeah. Yeah. So how's your pigeon? Um, all right. Um, you, um, bit rusty. Bit rusty. What, yeah. was, what was it like when you were twelve? Um, it was. It was good. Yeah, was I good. was very fluent. So you know, I I find um, my key right now. If I if it sort of feels a bit artificial, so it's a little bit fossilized. So yep. as soon as someone starts speaking to me, I, I'm immediately there. And um, so you can. So it's basically you can think pigeon. Yeah. So if somebody speaks, speaks to your pigeon, it automatically comes. You don't have to translate in your head. Not really, no. No, that's extraordinary. That's yeah. that, that's that's amazing because um, you know a lot of people have that advantage. Mm. Could you explain to people, listeners? I'm sure most of them know what it is, but exactly what is pigeon? So pigeon is the uh, lingua franca of of New Guinea, as you mentioned. There's you know 800 odd languages in New Guinea, and um, so it's kind of the the Creole language that um, that everyone most people can speak to communicate with each other. Um, it's it's officially a Creole, but it's it's even being called a Neo Melanesian now because um, children in the in the townships and cities are, are growing up speaking it. And so I found even in the time since I left there as a kid, going back, um, I, I tend to speak more almost biblical pidgin, you know. Um, <laughs> and there's relative clauses, and there's all this new grammar that I yes. I, I, I don't know. That's right. So yeah. um, it's it's got a bit of English. It's got a bit of um, German, it's got Malay, um, and it's got various in, uh, local languages mixed in there with the vocabulary as well. Mm. Uh, uh, is it a written language? Um, it is now, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, all the religious nuts have translated virtually every language in, <laughs> in New Guinea into, into the Bible. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um, it... It's it's very flexible because it's the vocabulary is smaller than, than a language that's been around for donkey's years. Mm. So I lo- it's very creative. I love you know. Um, so I hope this isn't. I hope your listeners won't be offended. But uh, for example, to take a piss is to throw water. Throw water. Well, that's that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. Like so it. there's I lots like of it. there's lots of that imagery that um, yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. it's a fun language. I mean. You mentioned the fact there's German in pidgin. Obviously, people I think a lot of people have forgotten that it, was it. It was New Guinea was a German colony, wasn't it? Uh, was it Papua or New Guinea? I can't uh, remember. New Guinea, I think. Yeah, New Guinea. Yeah. yeah. And um, is there any lingering, um, you know, um, that have any impact on on people? Their colonisation, because obviously after World War One they lost the colony and Australia took over. The, yeah, took it over. Um, there's certainly. Um, remnants of it. I mean, um, the, the, I guess it's more not really in, in Germany. I don't think there's there's remnants. A lot of remnants of World War Two, um, and I mm. think and I think um, Rabaul had more of a German influence, maybe than. Yeah. But um, that, that's where the Japanese base was. So, yeah. I, um, every now and then you'll come across a crazy German guy right. in, in, in New Guinea. <laughs> 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 what, from that from that period, well, they'd be dead by now. Wouldn't well, they? yeah, there's or usually descendants, an older yeah. guy, yeah. An older yeah. crazy guy who's living yeah. there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, but. the reason I, the reason I raise it is I just uh, heard a few weeks ago that the German government is uh, repaying repatriations to the Namibian government. I think of one billion dollars because mm-hmm. of genocide because they destroyed about eighty percent of the original inhabitants in Namibia when they took over that place mm. and uh, that was part of their colonisation process. This was genocide mm. and they're now making amends for it. And I was just wondering whether there was a, uh, whether it was that type of legacy as far as the German occupation of New Guinea was concerned or was it more a benign occupation? Um, yeah, I don't, to be honest, I don't really know. I should know more about that. But I think it was a... Uh, was it World War after World War One? After that, World War One, they yeah, lost they it. Lost it. Yeah. yeah, they lost so it. Think, yeah, they lost it. I think uh, there's been so much change since then that it's sort of um, hard for, to... forgotten. Yeah. So twelve, you left Papua New Guinea. Where did you go? Uh, Brisbane. <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> I was born in Brisbane. Oh, were you? Okay. Yeah. I was born in. Oh. oh, I don't know if I can continue the interview. I'm starting to sweat. <laughs> I remember. I mean, 
That's why I'm here in Melbourne. It's what your father did. He left uh, Massachusetts to go to New Guinea. Mm. I left, well, I was actually evicted from Queensland. That's another story. I had to come here in 76 as a refugee. That's another story. Brisbane. Mm. Why Brisbane? There's not much, not much, many playing. Oh, your father flew in the hinterland? Uh, yeah, so that yeah. was, I mean, part of it was just the warm weather and then also... Warm weather. It's warmer in bloody New Guinea than Brisbane. Yeah, well, we didn't want to go too much further south. Right. Um, and uh, also, um, just, yeah, just for work and for, for, I was about to start high school. Exactly. That's, that's a big thing with the expat communities, isn't it? When children start high school, they start thinking, yeah. Mm-hmm. So where did you go to high school in Brisbane? I went to uh, DLSL College. Uh-huh. Um, in Redcliffe on the north side of... Uh, not Redcliffe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember the long bridge, the old woody... Was the wooden bridge there when you were there? The, the Woodybrook old, Bridge, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the wooden one, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was still there. Rickety one. Yeah. Mm, so mm. What, what year were you at there? Um, we came Christmas 1988. Oh, phew. For a minute there, I thought I was going to cross paths with you because... Uh, we used to spend as children, we used to go to Redcliffe, mm-hmm. to the beach. Mm-hmm. That was our big day out yep. in the old utility, sitting in the back, driving from Archerfield. Oh, I can remember. And then my first placement as a doctor in 1976 as a in, intern, that's right, was Redcliffe Hospital. Okay, yeah. <sighs> I have some memories of Redcliffe Hospital. You're causing me a lot of pain. Oh, you've got <laughs> memories of Redcliffe. Tell me about it. Well, mostly just um, people, you know, family members being sick and going there. Yeah, I don't. I, I never went and, myself. And they actually came out. Well, yeah. There's different people who have different opinions about them uh, about Redcliffe Hospital. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember when I was an intern, I had a different opinion about it. But I must say, my, one of my greatest moments in life was Redcliffe Hospital in 1976. I was the intern. And the senior doctor was second year out, right? Mm-hmm. And we got this little kid. He was about five. It was winter. He'd fallen in and he drowned, right? It took okay. 20 minutes to find him. Mm-hmm. And they rushed him in. This little kid, he's blue, he's cold, he's not breathing. And I look at the resident, he looks at me and we said, oh, well, you know, are we going to bother? Are we not going to bother, you know? But as we were young and enthusiastic, we started intensive resuscitation. Mm -hmm. And he eventually came round and the ambulance trundling off to the Royal Children's at Brisbane, you know, the Brisbane Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. And we thought, what have we done? The poor kid's going to have massive brain damage, you know, he's never going to walk again, he's going to be a vegetable. Four weeks later, you won't believe this, his father brings him in to the hospital to say thanks and all he had was a slight limp in one foot. Okay. And I'm thinking that little kid now would be, you know, nearly 50. I wonder if he's had kids. You know, it's just one of those moments you have. Mm. I reckon if if we were older as doctors, we'd been around much longer, we would have just said, oh, just written out a death certificate. And, you know, it's just that youthful enthusiasm. So I, I do remember Redcliffe with joy. I do remember walking up and down the beach, looking for mussels. Mm, mm. Uh, look, it's your interview, okay? So how long did you start at, stay at Redcliffe for? Um, so I went to high, uh, high I did one year of primary and then went to high school there, so I finished high school. Right, and um, uh, mm. how did you go? Uh, I don't have a, a lot of people, for a lot of people, high school's a formative time, but for me, I don't really have a lot of memories. The first year... Um, it was the last year of primary school, and I did not want to be in Australia. I hated Australia. I wanted to go Excuse home. Excuse me? Home. Back, back to Papua New Guinea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why, well, the kids, did they poke their tongue at you or something? Or were you one of those kids that got bullied? Not, not hugely, no. Um, I just felt very out of place. I felt like a fish out of water. Mm. And, well, um, you were a fish out of water. Nobody else spoke pigeon, did they? No, <laughs> no. Um, uh, so... Yeah, I mean, in New Guinea, people uh, people are much more emotionally open, and um, and so the whole uh, white male Australian kind of thing was something that I struggled with really when I was first here, and um, when I was in grade eight, there was a, um, a Samoan guy, uh, Tala, and um, I think it was Samoan, um, and we became friends, you know, straight away, and in New Guinea, it's quite it's quite normal for uh, for friends to hold hands, 
um, put their arms around each other. It's just totally normal. Um, and then obviously we copped, we copped all this sort of homophobia that yeah. we, we just didn't un- What they were talking about. Don't That's... know what they were talking about. Yeah. Um, and so we essentially stopped being friends. You know, in, in retrospect, I realised because of that, you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, and so I was, uh, I had all this emotion coming up that I wasn't uh, quite sure what to do with. So um, uh, yeah, sort of acted out a bit the first couple of years, and then just went very quiet and st- stayed reading my books. So basically, it would have had an impact on your academic uh, academic standing. Do you think at the end of the t- year twelve? Because you know you weren't happy for five years. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I went, I got, I was sort of a, uh, B plus, A minus student, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. just did what I needed, just to pass. Yeah. Yeah. Did what I needed to do. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, my, I, I read a lot, so, you know, oh, that was, that's interesting. Yeah. That was, that was good. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm thinking, you know, in New Guinea, it was Enid Blight and was the other part, part of the world. What were you reading at high school? Uh, a lot of uh, fantasy and science fiction. Um, I went, um, I went through a mystery phase, um, and then and a, and a fantasy and science fiction phases. Mm. Um, bit of a bit of nineteenth century stuff, um, Conrad and things like that, which I sort of read a bit of in New Guinea as well. Right. Um, so, but yeah, a lot of fantasy and science fiction. So, mm. what happens to a year twelve student when high school finishes? Who's a little bit you know, a little bit reserved. Yep. So what how, What do you do? Where do you launch yourself? You know, this is your pivotal moment, you know. <laughs> the marks have come in. You probably wouldn't guess I, I joined the army. Oh, well, that's fair enough. Mm. Yeah, obviously, you're looking for identity. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and also... Which army? Papua New Guinea or Australia? Australian army. <laughs> but yeah. you hated Australia. What, you're some type of uh, fifth columnist, really. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I, I think I've I think in, I've done a lot of extreme experiences in my life, and I think uh, I've I'm search I've been searching for initiation mm-hmm. and searching for connection and authenticity and things like that. So when I was seven, my parents had to sign. I was seventeen, and uh, and I went off to Kapuka, Yeah, so I, I did the Ready Reserve. I don't know if you remember that, which you did a year full time and then five years part time while you did your uni degree. So yeah. so what uni degree were you doing? I did a Bachelor of Arts and a Bachelor of Science. Well, you didn't need to do that. It was free university in those days. Oh, no. no. Those fees had come in, hadn't they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember the good old days. <laughs> didn't yeah. go into the army because we didn't need to. That was the mid to late 90s. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the army paid for two degrees. So That's that was right. good. Yeah, and what were the degrees? Uh, I did a double major in journalism mm-hmm. in my arts degree, a bit of philosophy and drama. And I did uh, environmental science ecology in my science degree. Perfect time to be in the army. There's no overseas deployments, were there? No, actually, just at the end of um, at the end of um, my time in the army, I had the op- opportunity to go to East Timor, um, but I, I'd done six years by that point of mostly part time. But um, and I was ready to move on from the army and finish my finish my degree. So, mm. so how did you fit in? I mean, if you had so much trouble in high school, how did mm. you fit into the army? Not well, um, yeah. uh, but you know, I mean, it did. Within my little section, I, I was in environmental in environmental health. So we'd go around testing the water and t- checking the kitchens for you know for hygiene and, and spraying for mosquitoes, things like that. Um, within my section, I got on really well, and I'm still in touch with um, uh, people from that time. So you bond really well. Um, but yeah, just in general, I, I was a, a fish out of water again. Yeah, look, but, I have a friend who was in the army for 25 years, and he's on clover these days. Mm-hmm. You know, but you mm. didn't stick out for twenty five years, did you? You left after six. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was good. It was good to do all the study and and exams and all of that, and then get out of your head and be in the body. And and I I'm very grateful for the, the experiences that I had. And then by the time you you'd done a month or two in the army, you were sort of sick of people telling you what to do, and you <laughs> went, went back to back to study again. So yeah, it was a yeah. nice balance. So did you do did you do your um, kind of basic training and all that? Fire guns, march, all that stuff. Yeah, yep. Oh. So it was three months at Kapuka in um, Wagga Wagga, mm-hmm. and then I did another two months in um, Portsea. Right. Mm. That's nice. Mm. Portsea. Yeah, it was Cerebus, nice. was it? Cerebus or 
Um, there was an army base there right on the right at Portsea, yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. they've since sold off, and yeah. it was a beautiful spot. Yeah, yeah. That was my first time in Victoria. Yeah, yeah It's not always like that. You know? <laughs> Victoria's not all like that. You know that. So, all right, you leave the army, six yep. years, part-time. You've got your mm. degrees. Well, how are you going to make a buck? Yeah, well, I had, I had this thought to be, be a science journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my parents were very... Um, they wanted me. To, they knew I wanted to be a writer, but they wanted me to earn money. So oh, they, uh, all parents are like that. Yeah, I so, want to be a singer. You got to get a degree. Yeah, I want to be this. You got to get a degree. You know, you got to think of life. You know, because they know that you're not going to succeed. Yeah, that's why they want you to have a second. So, so I regret. I regret doing my double. I mean, I don't regret it, many yeah. things I've done, but um, uh, I, I think if if I had my time in my arts degree again, I would have done. Just done philosophy and, and stuff like that, rather than than my double major in journalism. Right. But yeah, so I had these ideas of being a writer and editor. But I'm, you've got to real really be a hustler to to be a freelance writer, you know. And oh. I'm not a particularly great no. hustler, so. No. Um. So I decided to become an English teacher. So I. Well, that's a good occupation. You can you can uh, be like Socrates and corrupt <laughs> the youth. <laughs> so, so where did you do your uh, English year? I mean, English teaching. You did one year, didn't you, at Teachers College? Or no, so th- I became an ESL teacher, English as a second language teacher. Right. So right. I did my training in Cairns. Mm. It was only a few months, uh, a couple of months, and then um, went to China. Um, oh, excuse me, excuse me. You did an ELS, and then you went to China. Mm-hmm. You didn't get married to a, one of your students, did you? No, no, no. 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 What year is this? This was 2002. Well, so what? I spent 2002, 2003 in China. What? Teaching English? Yeah, at a university. Which yeah. university? Um, Shandong uh, University, which is in uh, Shandong, which is kind of halfway between Shanghai and Beijing, the, the province. If you know Qingdao Beer, mm-hmm. that's in, in Shandong province. Why did you just look at me when you said Qingdao Beer? Do I look as if I'm an alcoholic or something? No, no. no. <laughs> a lot of people know a lot of people know Qingdao Beer. So. Right. What was that experience like two years in China? It was amazing, yeah. Um, it, it, I was 25, so, and um, I have this, I've also lived in Japan, and I, I find, because I was a white person in New Guinea, um, I'm, I'm obviously a fish out of water, you know, so I, I found, in some ways, I'm, I'm more at home in Asia, because I am different, uh, marked, my, my whiteness is marked, where it's not in Australia, so, um, yeah, so... I'm used to being in a place that I don't understand or don't fully know. Um, and then also just China was rapidly developing, still is, and, and very. there's always something going on. And it's a bit like New Guinea. There's always something happening, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, just going to the the market is a, is a adventure. Mini, it is an adventure, yeah. Meaning adventure. So, um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed mm-hmm. my time there. So what, from China you went to Japan or was there something in between? Um, I came back to Australia and back to Brisbane and uh, lived in Brisbane for a while and then went to Japan. Right. And how long mm. were you in Japan for? Um, I was just over a year, I think, in Japan. So I, mm. I worked in Tokyo for six months mm. and then I walked from the bottom of Japan to the top of Japan mm. over six months. Well, I embarrassed myself this morning mm. regarding Japan. Mm. I was at the coffee shop, not the one next door, the one further down, and uh, the gentleman who I've known for a number of years was talking on the phone, and I thought he was talking Pharisee because he's from uh, Iran. He's actually talking Japanese because he'd been in Japan for five years. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and uh, totally embarrassing moment. So how did your Japanese go? How's, how's good your Japanese? Um, it's okay. I, I sometimes so you could we could go down to the coffee shop two doors down. You could speak to him, could you? No, no. <laughs> I, I've lost it a lot because that was two thousand and seven, two thousand eight that I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do um, Japanese at high school, so right. I had that, and then just so I had very basic conversations, um, and then I I can read hiragana and katakana, and you know I got by, but by. but I couldn't have a uh, a really good conversation with someone. Right, but you were. Where did you live in Japan? So Tokyo, and then Tokyo. and then right. all over hiking all the whole way across Japan. So just I, with on, on Shanks Pony. Shanks Pony, yeah. How'd you find that? Did you go down the west coast or the east coast? Um, I started in um, 
It varied, it varied quite a bit, but yeah, I went across all four islands, right. all four main islands. Which yeah. ones did you find more interesting? Um, Shikoku was really interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah very mountainous and um, quite, quite the most remote of the areas that I walked in. Mm. What, what did you think of Hokkaido? Good. It was quite cold. It was uh, getting, it was in autumn when I was up, by the time I got up there. Yep. So it was more about just finishing the walk mm. and getting it done. Mm. Did you meet any of the Ainu in Hokkaido? No, I didn't. Oh, mm. I did, I did. Mm. But I won't tell you that story. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> it's interesting. There's, mm. uh, there's not many left. Mm, mm. People forget. You know you know that huge bearded character, the ugly European that you see in all the um, Japanese cartoons and uh, when you go into a, a little sushi bar, there's the, you know, the big bloke with the... Mm-hmm. Well, that's the stylized Ainu. Because mm-hmm. they were the uh, Russians yep. who were living. They were the European uh, Russians who were living in Japan before they were pushed out. It's quite interesting. Mm, yeah. yeah, it is interesting. I had a. Uh, I think um, uh, beards are considered sort of barbaric. Exactly. In, yeah. In, exactly. in Japan, and yeah. I, I grew my beard. <laughs> I didn't cut my beard the whole w- yeah, w- walk, yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. yeah, my I mostly became friends. The people that re- the only people that really. Well, people were friendly, but I, I did um, meet some Yakuza who, who yeah. thought I was great. Because That's right. You were different. Exactly. Different. <laughs> and they're different. No, you're right. Yeah, beards are not a frowned on. They're yeah. frowned on. And it all comes to this cultural thing about thousands of years of, you know, this conflict between the Ainu and the Japanese and, uh, you know, as they, reco- they colonise the land. It's, I found it quite fascinating. You're quite right. You've got a beard. They kind of – people look at you. You know, you're, you're a fret. Mm. You know, mm. you're the dark boogeyman, you know. So this is a very itinerant lifestyle. What? What? You leave Japan, it's 2009. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you do next? Uh, I got married in 2009 oh, that's in good. Brisbane. Do I congratulate you or commiserations? Which one? Commiserations. I right. I don't regret my marriage. But right. <laughs> it, it didn't last. It didn't last. Right. Yeah. That's fine. Any kids? No. Oh, well, that's, that's one positive. Mm. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. No, no, <laughs> seriously. Blended families, hard work. Hard okay. work. I can yeah. I can assure you it's bloody hard work. Yeah. Oh well. I know that from, from friends' experiences, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um so and then I was in Brisbane for um eight years or something like that. And then working as what? English as teacher? English te- ESL teacher, yeah. ESL teacher. Have you noticed any difference in the type of students that were coming through your classes, in your ESL classes? Um, well, partly I was working at a, um, for a long time in private colleges and so it tended to be kind of backpackers and um, people on gap years and things like that. Um, and then I've slowly moved into more academic English and university teaching. Um, and so the group of pe- group of students coming through are, are a bit different, but um, um, no, no other, otherwise, no, not really. Yeah. What, what do you think of the English language as a language? I think it's a great well, language. What, yeah, we, mm. we, I know we ask the big questions on radical. <laughs> well, you mean you've all your life you've grappled with English? Yeah, I mean it's it's a. I love that it 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 um, is a language that has this amazing vocabulary. Just take takes. Like, like the English people, it takes uh, words from uh, lots of different languages. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've often, because I'm not, f- other than maybe, I'm not fully fluent in any language. Um, I know bits of Japanese, bits of Chinese, talk is a bit rusty. Um, bits of uh, Gimi, which is one of the languages in New Guinea. So I've I've often want, you know wanted to be more fluent in another language, but as a writer, I'm just fascinated by English, you know, and the, the etymology of words and and the, his, the various histories of of all the different languages that have contributed in English. So uh, it's an extraordinary language. It, it is. really is. It is yeah. extraordinary. I, I didn't speak a word of English till I was five or six, and uh, it's what was your first language? Italian. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, like you, you, you can. When somebody speaks to you in pidgin, you respond in pidgin because your brain's customised to that. It's the same with myself with Italian and English. Okay. They're separate. You know, you don't, you don't have to translate like with the Chinese and the Japanese. Sometimes you've got to yep. translate. Yeah, you know, it's an extraordinary language. As you said, that, that flexibility mm. that it brings you. So mm. as a writer, mm. what type of work have you been doing? Um, I've got, like a lot of my life, I've gone through phases. So um, 
in my early 20s, I wrote plays. Um, Did you have any um, produced? Yeah, yeah. Just amateur theatre. Well, well, tell us a few of them. Just mention them. Um, one was called The Grail, which was a, it was about the Matrix kind of thing with someone, a fantasy guy playing computer games. Um, another one was a, a ghost story that I wrote for my sisters because we were all in the theatre together. Um, yeah, a couple others. And then, so I did, did a lot of theatre from high school through to my mid-20s before mm-hmm. I went to China. Then I, started, then I got into writing short stories, um, science fiction, fantasy short stories. Did that for quite a few years. I, su- I assume you won a few Nebula Awards. No. Never. <laughs> I got, oh, I'm disappointed. I got, a, I got highly recommended in a in – a, um, I got, had a few nice publications. That's good. But um, then I uh, – after the short stories, then I got into poetry. So then I was – when I was walking across Japan, I wrote haiku every day. Brilliant. Put it on a blog. A lot of it's terrible when I look back at it now. But it was good training and um, – uh, yeah, so I spent 10 years basically writing poetry. Had a few publications. You're just not financially driven, are you? No. Nobody makes any money from poetry. 10 no. years writing poetry. Come on, yeah. Chris, come on. Yeah, yeah. Go on, get real, you know. You should be writing, you know, detective stories, you know, true crime, blockbusters, that type of stuff. And you did poetry, you did haikus every day. Well, on that walk I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've just come back to it actually recently for the first time in a while, but yeah. So I mean, I, I wrote till till I felt like I uh, couldn't do more in, any more in poetry. I mean, I, I might, might come back to it, and then I've been working on finally what I wanted to do when I was a kid was to write a novel, mm-hmm. and so just in the last year or two, I've I've come back to writing a novel. And and are you the type of writer that doesn't know what he's going to do that morning, or do you actually plot and plan? And you know exactly what's going to happen by the end of the book. I I do a bit of both. Mm-hmm. So usually with usually with short stories and with fiction, I usually know the ending. Um, I know I know where I want to get to, and it's often a, a feeling or a, an image that I want to arrive at. And then it's about about going backwards and unpacking that. So often, and then I might get a bit of the beginning or a bit in the middle, and it's like, just like a puzzle that I start to put together then. Mm. So I'll get a, I get a lot of the bits and pieces, and that'll come to me, and then I, then I've got to do a bit of the hard work of actually joining the dots. So do you, do you have you got a kind of a specific place you write, or you can write anywhere? Do you use a pencil? Do you use a computer? What, what, what tell us your tricks of the trade? <laughs> um, no special secrets. I used to, when I wrote my play. I was thinking about this the other day. Actually, I, um, I wrote my plays longhand, um, and often even. Yeah, 20 years ago I was writing short stories or um, poetry longhand initially. But the, as time's passed, um, I get now I, I tend to write – I might write a line down on paper or something of poetry, but more and more now I want to move the words around. And so, yeah, I, I'm really interested to read about writers' habits and things like that and the way that people must have a typewriter or must use longhand or whatever. Mm. But I, I've certainly got to the point now where I – I think best on on a word processor, moving moving the words around. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. Um, some people found that it's too sets it in stone too much. Yeah. But I, I like the fact that it looks official, so I can type something and it looks oh, like it's it's the, it's official, and I don't and I can get a sense of it, and then I can. Yeah. But I can also delete it. Six years in the army. That's what it is. That's why I <laughs> like to look official. <laughs> so no, it look, looks printed. It looks printed. It looks like it. Oh, is this real? Is yeah. this real? Yeah, and then no, I can no, go. No, 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 it's not real. No, it's not the way I write. But that's a different story. Nobody's okay. interested. No, no, it's interesting. Yeah. So, when did you come to Melbourne? Um, I, I, well, my, my, a certain phase of my life had ended in Brisbane, shall we say? Yes. And <laughs> yes. I re- went around the world, and I, I had. You a, went around the world. You know, that's how you commiserated. You went around the bloody world. <laughs> All right, just tell us two interesting stories of your trip around the world. Um, go on. Well, I, I, was, I spent a few months in America so um, because I've got a U.S. passport and I wanted to know, do I want to go and live in America, try you know, being an American? And, um, and I went back to Billings, Montana. I went, went back and um, I met some cousins that I'd never met and in Portland in Oregon and, and travelled around and saw, my, saw family and things like that. And I went, yeah, I went back to Billings, Montana and saw some of my earliest, went to where some of my earliest memories were. So 
that was um, really good, really good experience. Um, and yeah, I mean, twenty fifteen, I was I was struck in twenty fifteen. No, was it twenty fifteen that I was there? Yeah, I was struck because um, I'd, I'd been it'd been quite a, ten years or more since I'd been there. But one of the feelings I uh, I was quite struck by in in America was fear, the feeling of fear, people being afraid. Um, afraid of what? Outsiders, you mm. know. Um, uh, I don't know. Like I remember, I went and saw when I was in Billings. I went, I went to the houses that I that I'd remembered, and I found both of them in Billings. And people were very suspicious. You know, who's this guy? You know, um, what are you what are you doing here? You know, and it. it the main house that we lived in, I went up to it and was taking some photos, you know, um, of the house and, and I went up to some of those places that, where I saw the rattlesnake and all that yep. kind of thing, yeah. the place where I ran away from home. And, um, and, and some, I, went, I went down to the petrol station. I finished taking my photos went down and someone got in this car and drove down to where I was at the petrol station and accosted me and said, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you taking photos of our street? Mm. Um, Mm. So I had a few experiences like that where I, I really felt like I was an outsider. Mm. Well, it's interesting because obviously it highlights why Trump was elected, mm. you know, that feeling of fear. Mm. All right, let's forget about America. Anywhere else? <laughs> I mean, I've never been. I never want. I did go to Alaska once, but that's a different story. So I, I did go to Iceland on that trip. So I've been to Iceland. What year were you in Iceland? Uh, 2015 or so 16. Was I. Yeah, what, right. What, what month? Um, September, maybe. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I think something I was, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, autumn. Yeah, yeah, very boring place, isn't it? <laughs> Naturally <laughs> beautiful. Naturally beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed Reykjavik. I, yeah. uh, when I was a kid, I had. Well, a, are you a bit of a clubber? Are you? No, no. no. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, I had a, a big um, map of the world on my. Yeah. yeah. And my, my brother and my brother and I were in the same bedroom, and we used yeah. to play yeah. a game where we would choose a, a, a we'd name a, a city you know yeah, and the other person yeah. had to find it and that was it and Reykjavik was one of my favorites you know and it's yeah. I, I th- just the idea of Iceland yes. seems sort of the polar opposite of New Guinea you know you know how so. it, you know how it you know how it was founded don't you you know this foundation story yeah mm. slaves were involved people don't understand how slaves were important the vikings no mm. no my late wife and I made history in Iceland oh right what yeah. happened well well, it's the type of history you don't want to write about. But uh, okay. uh, she'd always had a dream of going to Iceland, but she was extremely sick and was on dialysis. Mm-hmm. And we eventually got there, and she was the first Australian ever to have dialysis in Iceland. Okay, yeah. So, no, no, 2015 we were there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Did you go to that nice revolving restaurant? No, no, I didn't go oh, You missed that. And did you see any of the little fairy people that everybody talks about? No, I didn't. You didn't go out? And I see the Northern Lights. I saw the Northern Lights. And so you chased the Northern Lights at 1 o'clock in the morning? Yep. Yeah, yeah, did mm. the same. Mm. All right, I think our listeners are getting bored with these <laughs> recollections. Now, Melbourne, when did you get to Melbourne? I got to Melbourne in 2016. So I just realised recently that I've been here for five years. It feels like I'm a bit of a blow-in, but um, I got here five years ago. Look, Chris, you're not a blow-in. Uh, <laughs> We don't. We're not Americans. No, we, I know. You know, you're welcome. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Know, you can take as many photos if you like of Kelly, <laughs> but not me. All right. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it, I'm, it's interesting. I, uh, just the other night, I was watching um, that Jack, Jack Irish, some of that Jack Irish show, and um, it was a. I was like, oh, this. I recognise this place. This is where I live. You know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not the show, but but <laughs> yeah. just the place, you know, because yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I felt very um, – because it's the weather. You know, I'm, I really love the tropics. I spent time in Cairns <laughs> and New Guinea. And you like the tropics. I love the tropics and I moved to Melbourne. Good on you, mate. So I felt a bit alienated from but Melbourne But you like, for you a long like time. to be different. I like, like to be different, yeah. Exactly, yeah. You like the tropics, so you moved to Melbourne. <laughs> I'm a fish out of water again. Yeah, yeah. 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 So what are you doing in Melbourne? I don't, I don't want to pry. mm mm <laughs> Um, well, just teaching and, and, um, teaching, uh, English as a second language still, academic English preparation for international students mm-hmm. for university, now mostly online. Um, you got a sore neck? No, no. Oh, you should have all that bloody zooming. The zooming is draining. I, yeah. It is. Oh, it is so horrible. I did it mm. once and I said, I did a two hour conversation with some people in Sydney in a, in a, some type of, I don't know, conference. And I said, never again. 
Yeah. Never again. But you have to do it, otherwise you're unemployed. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the yeah the uh, international students sector has been hit. Education sector has been really hit badly by COVID. But um, but yeah, I'm still teaching, so I, I enjoy teaching. And I don't know. Yeah, lit, writing and um, how's that trying not? to work out what it means to be on planet Earth. Yeah, what what you'll never get that answer. <laughs> so how's the writing going? Yeah, all right. Slow. It's not as not as fast as I'm a very slow writer. It's just yeah. p- partly why I think. I gravitated to poetry was because you can spend six hours on something and you've got a, you've got a half a page and yeah, uh, it's done. Yeah, done, right. But so uh, I'm not getting an invitation to the book launch soon. No, no. no. Oh, I have I have high hopes. Of, I, I think I worked out a, if I keep going at the rate I'm going, I might be done in three to four years. Oh, fair enough. Okay, so it's not so too it's bad. Four words a day. That's yeah. okay. So I understand. You've kind of hooked up with those disreputable people at the West Papuan office. Is that correct? I heard this rumour. Yes. Yes, I have. So when did this happen? What's all this about? Um, well, I well, part of, part of uh, moving to Melbourne, I felt like I wanted to connect to Melanesians, you know. Um, I so, sort of see myself as a New Guinean Australian, a white New Guinean Australian. Um, and I, I came across the fact that the West Papua office was here in Melbourne at, uh, at Docklands. And um, initially, um, I just came along to events and, and joined the Rank Collective. And um, Excuse me? Yes. Are you one of us? I you, am. You're a member of the Rank Collective? I am, yes. You realise you'll never be able to go to Indonesia without looking over your back? Mm, maybe. I've always wanted to go to Indonesia, but I haven't, I've never got quite got there yet. Well, you know, I'm happy to do a free... <laughs> Chris campaign. Here we go. <laughs> You've just blown my cover Come now. <laughs> oh no, no, it's no cover. They've got spies everywhere. You know? I mean, uh, so what? What are you doing with, in the office? Um, Apart from chatting, mm, mm, mm. lots of chatting. You know, it's um, as you know, it's a no. I don't know anything. It's a very complex, um, in, in some ways, complex um, history and, and politics. In other ways, it's a it's a very simple thing. Um, freedom for West Papuans, but. Um, so oh, I've just been getting involved with a, a letter writing campaign um, that we're doing now for, to support a delegation that's going to Canberra in August, um, and we're, I've helped to organise a, a film uh, afternoon that's coming um, this Sunday afternoon at two o'clock in, in Docklands. Excuse me, excuse me, that's mm. what I'm going to. Okay, yeah, I, I got an invitation here <laughs> as the. Uh, Convener of the West Papuan Rent Collective. I yeah. actually got an invitation. 2 p.m. this Sunday. Yes. So what's the film? Uh, Land of the Morning Star. Um, so actually, I'm, I'm going to be emceeing, so I'll be introducing you. Will you? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Kelly, I'm worried he's going to get his own back after what I've, do- what I've done to Chris during this interview. Yeah, well, I'll be there. You'll mm. be there. Yep. They can meet both of us. They can. I don't think Kelly will be there. She'll be too busy surfing. She's a bit of a surfer. Or she'll be having lunch with her twin sister, Kerry, okay. the successful one. You know okay. that? She's got oh. a successful sister. So it's 2 p.m. Yes. This Sunday. Yes. Land of the Morning Star. And this is uh, Mark Worth's lifetime work, isn't it? It is, yeah. Because he's a bit like you in many ways. He was a white Papua New Guinean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know a huge amount about him, but I've read, um, watched a little little doco about him and um, – uh, yeah, interesting guy. Interesting guy. Like like a lot of people that get involved in New Guinea, I think, um, end up there. Um, uh, David Bridey is introducing the after the film, and he was a friend of Mark Worth's. Um, so I'm interested to hear hear what he has to say about him. Yeah, he's an extraordinary independent writer and uh, filmmaker, and this was a, a labour of love. Ten years. Mm-hmm. His uh, wife was uh, West Papuan. And I don't think he was even 50, and he uh, went across the border to go home for Christmas in West Papua, and he died suddenly. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's always it's always been an issue raised about uh, what he died of. People said he died of pneumonia, but a lot of people are a bit suspicious because he was relatively young, he was relatively healthy, mm-hmm. although he just had a bout of dengue fever, which is not unusual in, in you know in that area of the world. Mm. And uh, two days after it was announced that his uh, documentary, Land of the Morning Star, was going to be aired on SBS, on uh, ABC television, he mysteriously died. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think it would be a great afternoon for people to learn about uh, West Papua and what they've been through. Mm. Um, 
So you're the MC. Yes, I am. Yeah, the master of ceremonies. <laughs> so what, what, what ceremonies are we going to have that afternoon? Um, Not just talking heads, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, no. 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 Um, well, we're going to have a, 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 a little ceremony for Mark Worth, mm-hmm. um, uh, and um, get, hear from from David Brady about about Mark Worth and about the film. Um, we're also uh, there's also going to be some books there about West Papua if people are new to it. Um, we're going to have a little bit of an update on the situation in in West Papua um, and the letter writing campaign and how that all, all that fits together with the trip to Canberra. Um, and basically meet meet other people that are uh, interested in finding out more about That's West Papua. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is one of these um, meetings of uh, Ren Collective members and other people who are interested in the struggle. You don't have to be a Ren Collective member to come along. And it's this Sunday at 2 o'clock at 838 Collins Street in Docklands, which is the bottom end of uh, Collins Street. And you just uh, walk around the side, around the back, and it's the, the big meeting room at the back there where the film will be shown. And uh, everybody's welcome. We welcome Indonesian spies as well as Australian spies because, you know, just turn along, come along, and we also welcome you members of the Rain Collective. Now, you forgot the most important part of the afternoon. What's that? Me haranguing people to join the West Papua Rent Collective because <laughs> we're 15 members short. Yeah. And if this continues, you're going to be doing the films on the footpath. Mm. You realise that. Mm. For a dollar a day, you become a member of the West Papua Rent Collective and uh, you're hated by the Australian government, the Australian opposition. The Greens love you because they support West Papua Independence. You know, Barnaby Joyce said on Q&A, I've been told, that he supported West Papua Independence. Yeah. So let's see where the cattle... The live trade of cattle to Indonesia is more important than West Papua independence to the National Party. We'll see that. Mm. That's something to think of. Now, Christopher yes. Lynch, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You've been an exceptionally interesting guest. Obviously, all our guests are interesting. I say that to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I wish you all the best, and I hope you don't leave Melbourne because this is a great city. I've been here for over 40 years. This is It's a great city. Full of mediocre people, but a great city. <laughs> and it's all us mediocre people pulling together that make a difference. And uh, I'm really pleased that somebody with your experience is now a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective in the West Papuan office because they need all the help they can get. I mean, you know, half a million dead from a population of just over a million over a 60-year period in the independent struggle isn't a good look. No, and we're, we're, we're looking for volunteers at the moment. So if anyone is interested... In, uh, in getting involved, then please make contact with the office. Yeah, and it's a great way. Sunday afternoon, you'll meet like-minded people, interesting people. So it's 2 o'clock this Sunday. But uh, at Docklands 838 Collins Street. What's the uh, website? Do you know what the website is? If you search for uh, DFAT, DFAIT West Papua, you'll find the website. Um, and there's details there about the event. And also, you can join on Zoom if you want to. Right. Oh, yeah, they do Zoom. I keep forgetting. Now... How about your writing? Anywhere we can look for it? Um, I have a much-neglected website, chrislynch.com.au. Um, Are you the only Chris Lynch in the world, chrislynch.com.au? <laughs> I mean, you know Chris Lynch 2, Chris Lynch 7? There's a famous uh, <laughs> YA author called Chris Lynch in, in Ireland, I think. So, But um, anyway, the .com.au will get you to some of my poetry. But right, right. I haven't posted on there for a very long time. What's a long time? A few years, I think. Well, I encourage you to do a little bit of posting, you know. Mm. You need to do a bit of posting. I mean, as you said, you're not good at self-promotion. No. And to be an independent freelance writer, you have to be good at self-promotion. Look, if you ever need a manager who is willing to take 90% of the profits, (laughs) you can always call me. But I'll donate them to the West Papuan office, okay? All right. All right. Well, thank you you very much, Christopher. Thank you for coming in. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much, Kelly. And uh, thank you very much, listeners. And don't forget, listeners, as I said at the beginning of the program, Kelly and I are distraught. We haven't reached our total. We need another $40 to get the 750 total. These are fascinating interviews. We're worth more than 40 bucks. Ring up. Donate to the 3CR radio front, 94198377. 8377 If you're computer literate, unlike myself, you can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Next week... When we do Radical Australia, I'd like to say we've reached our total. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Christopher. See you, everybody, Sunday, 2 o'clock, Land of the Morning Star, Docklands, 838 Collins Street, Melbourne. 
I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.